This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started this podcast, gosh, almost a year ago now, to sort of extend the walls of my practice, maybe to people who are in counseling or those interested in mental health or psychology, but also to people who might never have considered therapy or talking with a psychologist. My topics are diverse. If you're not interested in one, just wait till next week and perhaps that one will be your cup of tea. But welcome to this episode of Self Work. We're going to be talking about friendships today. They're incredibly important relationships in our lives. In fact, when I was in graduate school, I remember being taught that one of the very important questions to ask someone who might be suicidal is, who's your support system? And if they said no one really, then your alarm bells really went off because that support system was extremely significant in their healing and their safety. But I can't start today without first speaking directly to the people whose lives have been touched by either natural tragedy and trauma in the recent weeks and months, and now by this mass shooting in Las Vegas. News of that is coming in as I record this podcast. Trauma and tragedy happen every day. I know I'm a therapist. I hear about it. But these kinds of things where so many people's lives are affected, obviously, not only get our attention, but are hard to comprehend in just how difficult the lives of the people who are touched by natural disaster or a crime such as this, how those people's lives are affected. So please reach out to people to talk about it. One of the most important things about handling trauma about handling sudden, unexpected change in grief is to express yourself, is to try to reach out and get help, talk about what's going on with you, what your feelings are, what your losses are. Also, it's important to know that if you've had this kind of loss in the past, that you can be triggered by such tragedy happening to someone else. You can have nightmares, you can have flashbacks. So please, all of you, in the hurricane-affected areas, or by this incredibly vicious act against innocent people, please know that you're being thought of and cared about. Many of you listening to this may not have been alive in the 1980s, but there was a song called That's What Friends Are For. It actually was written by Burt Bacharach and Carol Sager, for a movie of the time, but it was recorded by Stevie Wonder and Elton John, Gladys Knight, and Dionne Warwick. It was a huge hit. The lyrics were, keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me. For sure, that's what friends are for. For good times and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. That's what friends are for. Somewhat of a romantic version of friendship, but many friendships are like that. But some friendships end. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'll mention my own experience a little bit. There's a wonderful book called My Other Ex, 
that we'll talk about as well that's about friendships that have ended. I'll give you five ideas to try to encourage healing after a friendship ends and moving on. And today I'm going to use two emails from listeners. One had listened to episode 36 on arousal during sexual abuse, and I'll mention her reaction to that podcast and then my reaction to her response. And one very recent email from someone who'd listened to a podcast on perfectly hidden depression. She mentioned something that I think is really important for everyone to understand. You know, there are friends in your life with whom you just simply click. I'll never forget walking in to the room next to mine, and here was this blonde girl who had spent her summer in Iran. I walked in with my guitar and my Farrah Fawcett curls, (laughs) and I had no clue that this would end up being one of my best friends, and yet we clicked. As different as we were, we clicked. When that happens, you both sort of slide into this seamless relationship of, of laughter, confidences, lots of contact, and somehow you'll know this is going to last forever, come thick or thin. And the bond can grow deeper as other relationships come and go and children come along, careers are molded. Maybe there are even miles between you. But somehow when you text or call, you pick up right where you left off. And it doesn't really matter that there have been months or sometimes years in between talking or visits. These are the kinds of friendships where memories are shared when your own growth and change has been seen and supported. And actually, similar to brothers and sisters, they can be the longest and most meaningful relationships of our lives. In fact, I have a plaque in my office that was given to me by one of my friends that says, friends are your family of choice. I'm not saying I had a bad family, mind you, but... They really are. The friends are your family of choice. Yet perhaps one day, your reality can begin to change. She's not returning your texts. He hasn't called you to play golf or to go hunting. You see on Facebook that she's having lunch with another friend, someone you didn't even know that she knew. So you're losing touch. Maybe you reach out. Can we talk? What's going on? I feel like you're just disappearing from my life. Have I made you mad? Please talk to me. The psychological term for this is emotional cutoff. When someone intentionally withdraws from a relationship and then, of course, isn't really letting you know what's going on. In couples, the ultimate manifestation of this is what's termed stonewalling. Literally, sometimes not talking to somebody for days. In a relationship, that's obviously not a great thing. Now, there's a popular term called ghosting, although it's typically used for dating relationships or perhaps not even dating, just getting to know someone and then all of a sudden they disappear on you. But certainly it can be very painful, actually, for both the person who's left and the lever. Not always. I've read some interesting articles on ghosting saying that this generation, because ghosting is going on so much, that it's almost approved of or supported in some way. But that's another topic. But I read a book that's really an anthology about this dynamic. It's called My Other Ex, Women's True Stories of Losing and Leaving Friends. 
what I loved about this book, and by the way, these people don't even know I'm doing this podcast, so I've not received anything for talking about the book. What I really liked about it was the fact that they had essays in the book written by both the person who left a really good friendship and the person who was left. So you got a true sense of what it was like to be either. What they pointed out that the friend that's left is dealing with a strange sense of shame as if they've done something or acted some way that was intolerable or hurtful. Yet they don't know exactly what happened, so there's a lot of mystery to it. I've used the analogy of what happens when you play with a puppy, and then you suddenly leave the room and close the door between you. The puppy will sniff around at the door and in a minute begin scratching at it, you know, to get your attention, to try to regain the wonderful time that was being had. That's what can happen when you leave. The person that's left is left scratching at the door, furiously, and then maybe even tearfully. Now, this book is talking more about women's friendships. It would be interesting to have the same kind of conversation, actually, with men. When their friendships end, how do they interpret that? I'd love to hear from some of you who might want to comment on that, actually. A term I often say is if I could get out that therapeutic magic wand, I can imagine a world where two friends could sit down and talk about what, for one of them at least, is a desired closure of their relationship, Those reasons could be shared, yet not too many people really have the ability to do that. It would be hard. It would take a lot of energy. And perhaps that kind of energy, one person's already decided they don't really want to expend that kind of energy on the relationship anymore. But that rarely happens, that kind of emotional closure. Most of the time, the lever slips away. It's easier, not so messy. Disappearing helps them avoid conflict. I had this happen in my own life, and I'll be honest, I didn't handle it very well. But I actually grew from it a lot and came to understand a kind of grief that perhaps I really had not in the past. So I did learn some steps about how to heal. And of course, I've watched this kind of healing as a therapist over and over again over the last 20 years. So we're going to talk about five steps of healing from Friendship's Ending. Oh, by the way, I'll have the link to my other X in my show notes if you'd like to take a look at it. One of the first steps is to refrain from social media or just get off for a while. It is so tempting, if not downright seductive, to watch your ex-friend from the safety of Facebook or Instagram. And if they've unfriended you, you can really get obsessive and play detective pull in other friends to help you figure out what's on their page, which really is not too good for that friendship, frankly. And all that detective work, all it really does is to prolong your own grieving and increase your sense of being replaced in their life. That's a different kind of grief when something's over and then when you're replaced or you feel replaced. That can really hurt your own sense of worth. So when you're getting on social media and looking at new things they're doing, then you are, in many ways, you're being really self-destructive. The second idea is to focus on creating fresh experiences and relationships in your own life. Now, this can be hard if you have mutual friends. You don't want them to feel as if they're in the middle, and you don't want your friends to bash 
your old friend or your ex-friend either. He was your friend for a long time, or she was, and bashing them will get you nowhere. So you really want to be proactive. You want to look for relationships, activities, experiences, unrelated to you and your ex-friend. It can feel like you're starting over, but with time, those relationships will also have the patent of time on them and will become very important to you. My best friend now is someone who I didn't even meet until I was in my late 30s. So those friendships can become wonderful, supportive relationships. Here's the third idea. Do some writing and thinking about what the friendship meant to you that will not be affected by its end. What does this mean? What was the friendship's long-term value to you? Whatever inherent gift did that relationship bring to you that will always be yours? (laughs) The friendship that ended for me, (laughs) she taught me how to dance. Now, I'm not a great dancer, but when I was a teenager, I used to just mimic the people next to me, and she would say, stop that, you look stupid. (laughs) So she taught me how to dance, and I'll always be grateful for that. And as I said, what can you even learn from its ending? Maybe I needed to grieve like that, so it was a good thing for me to experience. So doing some writing about what that friendship meant to you that will always be present in your life? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about life? Asking questions like that. Here's the fourth thing to consider. Maybe there was something you didn't want to see from the very beginning or that you'd stayed in denial about. For example, were you more of the giver from the beginning? Did you both avoid conflict? Or did you avoid seeing something that was right in front of you because you didn't want it to be real? There's a book called Coming Apart by Daphne Kingma, which is an unusual name. And it's about divorce, but she talks about that there's probably one thing that you did not want to see that was the kernel of the problem that ultimately broke you up. And you just didn't want to see it. You ignored it because you were in what I call lust love. Well, friendships are a lot like that. There may have been something that you didn't want to see or admit to yourself about that friendship that you put on the back burner, so to speak. So being honest about those things and seeing, oh, yeah, you know, there was something from the very beginning of the relationship that I should have paid attention to. You want to take responsibility for what is yours, for maybe whatever mistakes you made in the relationship, but no more than your own share. The fifth idea is to realize that your self-esteem has taken a hit. Now, most of us would rather be invited to the party and decide not to go than to be invited and then disinvited or not asked to future parties. The message from your friend or now your ex-friend is that whatever you had to offer doesn't now fit with what they need in their lives. You've got to realize that that doesn't discount you or what you've meant to them in the past, or they for you. You may need reassurance from people who love you, and if you do, ask for it. But understand that your own inner voice needs to find reassurance within to be able to recognize and affirm your own value. Now, again, this takes some time, especially if it was a dear friend or someone that you really loved and trusted. If they won't 
talk to you about a problem and work through it with you so that the friendship can thrive, then that's not something you can do anything about. But it does hurt. So going over the five again, try to get off social media. Don't play detective. (laughs) Focus on creating fresh experiences in your own life. Do some writing and thinking about what the friendship meant to you that won't be affected by its end. Consider that there might have been something you didn't want to see from the very beginning or that you had stayed in denial about. Again, taking responsibility for mistakes you may have made, but not too much of the responsibility. And then realize that your self-esteem has taken a hit and that you're going to need time and maybe some reassurance from others. Ask for it. Good friends will give it to you. Our email from a listener is about episode 36. I almost didn't record this podcast because I thought, you know, I'm not sure that I can explain this topic well enough in a 20, 25-minute podcast, but I decided it was important. It's on sexual arousal during sexual abuse, which happens more than you know. Our bodies respond. Our bodies are not giving permission to be raped or to be abused in some way, but our bodies are simply physiologically responding. So here's what a listener said. Thank you so much for this episode. I've never faced the truth of this shame, nor have I been willing to acknowledge its existence. While I've gotten to a place of peace with being sexually abused, my lack of connection to this part of the abuse has kept my whole life from being healed, not just my head and heart. I mistook my inability to allow arousal during intimacy to being about control. This episode helped me realize that it is or was this shame that has kept me shut off from vulnerable intimacy. My marriage dissolved because there was no intimacy, a pattern I thought would end with the commitment of marriage. But sadly, this only added more shame to the situation, and the cycle continued. While I wish I had found you before my marriage began to fall apart, I'm hopeful that I can now forgive myself for being unable to show up intimately with my husband. You've also given me the words to address the darkest part of my shame, which I know will help me move forward. When I got this email, I got tears in my eyes. And this was my response. I am touched deeply by your words. First, I'm so sorry you've experienced continuing shame for something that wasn't in your control. And I'm so glad that what I've learned from others was and is helpful to you. One of the questions I hear and have asked myself often is, why couldn't I figure this out myself? Maybe I wouldn't have made that mistake or something like that. When no one or very few talk about this phenomenon, then victims who experience it will continue to walk in shame. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. Maybe you will give the same gift to someone else, that of understanding and self-acceptance. You know, these are the kind of emails from listeners that help me continue to find the motivation to get up really early in the morning and do these podcasts. It means so much for you to let me know what a particular episode may have meant to you. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. But today I also wanted to read another email because it's about perfectly hidden depression 
That's a topic that I have several podcasts on. The very first one is 003 and then 004. And those are so early in my podcast history that I was actually editing those myself. There's very little music. But there are others. The Nine Paths to Perfectly Hidden Depression, The Ten Characteristics of Perfectly Hidden Depression, When Gratitude Backfires is another one. So if this particular topic speaks to you, I hope you'll listen to those podcasts. Anyway, back to her email. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I just cried my way through your podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression after a horrible panic attack that left me in a ball in the floor of my closet. She then tells me where she's from, and she's looking for referrals for people who could help with PhD or Perfectly Hidden Depression. I have small kids, an amazing husband, who need a better and more consistent wife and mother. Thank you for your podcast and for appearing on Sorta Awesome, which is what led me to your podcast in the first place. Yeah, I talked about Perfectly Hidden Depression on Sorta Awesome. But the reason why I wanted to read this email to you is this, and I'll read my answer, which perhaps will be a succinct way of saying what I want to say. Hello. Perfectly hidden depression is a term I've coined to try to describe a syndrome that I've seen in my practice over and over. I'm sure there are those in my field who are aware of the same problem, that many people with actual depression aren't admitting it to themselves and are engaged in trying to hide from emotional pain they're carrying, whether it's intentional or not. I hope the awareness that you've discovered will help you. It sounds as if you're under an intense amount of pressure if you're having panic. If you go to a clinician presenting only with panic and not telling them whatever it is that made the term perfectly hidden depression so poignant for you, they may not understand your problem as depression. And then I go on and talk to her about the fact that I don't know a therapist in her area. But this is important because I want to make sure those of you who may identify with perfectly hidden depression realize that if you go into therapy, you have to be completely frank. Many of the people that I've interviewed who, again, have identified with perfectly hidden depression have told me that they went to a therapist and that therapist diagnosed them with anxiety, exhaustion, something like that, rather than seeing the underlying depression. But that's because they weren't telling anyone about their actual thoughts. A therapist only has the information that you tell him or her, and often you're also trying to listen to your gut about somebody. I try to do that actually all the time. But it's much clearer when someone tells me, oh yeah, I I cry at night when no one knows, or whatever it happens to be. So if you identify with perfectly hidden depression and you're thinking about therapy, realize your therapist is not a mind reader. You have to be as clear and honest as you potentially can be in that moment of your life. I want to thank you for listening to Self Work. You can reach out to me in a whole bunch of different ways. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. I obviously love emails. So ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. That is confidential. I'm the only one who sees those emails, and I will answer you. I'm on Twitter at Dr. underscore Margaret. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. 
And of course, I would so appreciate a rating or review, especially on iTunes, because that's the major way that other people may hear about self-work. It keeps me up in the ratings. And although I hate really caring about that too much, if I want to get the message out, that's how I have to do it. I could use your help and would be very grateful for that. I have a gift book, Marriage is Not for Chickens. And when I say a gift book, that's exactly what I mean. It's a book that's meant to be given as a gift. Perhaps I hear the first anniversary is paper, so that would be perfect for someone with an anniversary. Someone getting married, it's a poignant but hopefully funny at times look at marriage with some gorgeous, really stunning photographs that illustrate my own words. So Marriage is Not for Chickens, available on Amazon. (laughs) Again, thanks for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.